Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Help, I'm in my 20s. I'm your host, Brianna, with my co-host, Emily. Um, And before we get started with this week's um, episode, we just want to acknowledge everything that happened yesterday with the Capitol. So we're recording Thursday, January 7th. And if you don't already know, which you must know, um, uh, yesterday on January 6th, was um, there was an insurrection at the Capitol building um, led by pro-Trump supporters and other white supremacists. Um, And we really couldn't record today without acknowledging um, what happened. And we're still, like I think many of you, thinking about it. It's not an isolated event. It is not isolated to January 6th. Um, And so we anticipate that when this episode is being released on January 13th, um, that we're still gonna be talking about it and still thinking about it. Um, So we we just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, We've also made a statement um, condemning white supremacy um, on our Instagram. And so we just want you guys to know where we where we stand and um, hopefully we all are on the same side of this. So um, there's no easy way to transition out of that, um, but Emily has another uh, announcement, a much lighthearted one. A much lighter announcement. Yeah. Um, but we decided for the new year that we really want to do something fun and we just want to interact with you guys more and just get to know our listeners more um, and be there for you guys because this is why we do this. And so we thought it'd be super fun that for anyone who is going through any sort of situation or circumstance in their lives that wants another perspective or just a sounding board or any advice to write into us, to DM us on Instagram at our podcast Instagram, or even email us at help. I'm in my twenties podcast at gmail.com. We'll put it um, in the message notes for this and we'll link our Instagram to it, but we would love to hear from you guys and everyone will be kept anonymous on the podcast. Um, And we just want to interact with you guys and encourage you guys. And I know for me, at least sometimes going through things, I just need a third party's opinion that is super unbiased. And so if we can help in any way or bring any perspective to what you're going through, we would love to hear from you. And yeah, we don't know when the episode will come out yet, but feel free to just DM us or email us at any time and we'll get that rolling. Yes, I'm really excited about it. We've had we've had some people ask us questions in the past, like mm-hmm. what are your favorite self-care um, rituals or like things that you do or mm-hmm. like what has been your biggest lesson? And we kind of, I mean, like we've personally like responded to people, but we thought it might be kind of fun to mm-hmm. make an episode of it. So yeah, and especially if like now. you guys ever think of something that you really want us to talk about or acknowledge, yeah. you know, like any certain topics. Um, we want to be able to give you guys what you want to listen to. And so let us know for sure. Yeah, definitely. So with that, today's episode is going to be about feminism. We're going to talk a lot about um, what that looks like um, in action, how we embodied that. Um, And there really is only one guest that comes to mind. (laughs) Um, She is so smart. I, I, I could like rave about her all all day, but I just, I, maybe I should introduce you. Um, our guest is <laughs> Olivia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. Um, so for those who don't know, Olivia is one of my dear friends. We um, became roommates kind of randomly um, back in college and then have just been obsessed ever since. Um, and one of my favorite qualities of Olivia's is that any conversation we have, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I just like feel like a better person afterwards because she like always challenges me and like brings a perspective or something I just like didn't think of or didn't know. So 
I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy we're talking about this. Um, can you just kind of paint? I'm, I don't want to brag about you forever. I want you to brag about yourself too. Um, can you like paint a picture for the listeners, just like what you're up to um, and just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm like destabilized by your nice compliments. So thank you. <laughs> Did you ever think like when we were 20 and we had never met and living in the same room that we would end up here? Yeah. But we are. But yeah, uh, I'm Olivia. I currently live in the Philadelphia area. I'm a grad student at Villanova University. I'm currently getting my master's in English and applying to PhD programs in a variety of disciplines. Um, My main kind of areas of focus are popular culture, race and ethnic studies, um, specifically reality television, food television, and horror film. Um, So those are some of the things that I'm interested in. Um, I'm 23. I am also, if you've listened to the episode on Race Matters with Rebecca Beagley, uh, I also work for AARJ, which is the nonprofit that Rebecca and I co-founded with some of our other friends. Um, So yeah, those are some, I guess, like, valid and important things about (laughs) me. Um, And I guess I should say, like, one other thing is that just, and this is like, I guess, more relevant to some of the content that we'll get into is that I think that sometimes like I'm a very passionate person and I feel very strongly about all of my kind of like politics quote unquote or whatever you know and I think that it's important to say that like I have only arrived in my current like ideological modes of existence in the world because of like the intellectual and organizational work of others and Mm. that very little of what I say comes from me I think like I think that much of my thought is really informed by you know other thinkers and activists who have really inspired me and I think to that end I don't want anyone to hear anything I say in like a gatekeepy or judgy way because like I you know I don't want any of my sort of political opinions to be defined as like the only way to understand feminism because if you study feminism at all you'll understand that it's not feminism it's feminism Mm -hmm. you know um and so I think that I just want to say that from the beginning that like I don't consider like I guess I would say most of what I will say will be like descriptive of how I understand the world and not necessarily prescriptive of how I believe other people should move in the world if that makes sense yeah that makes sense and I think piggybacking off of that Um, our motivation when we like settled on the topic and we wanted to have you as a guest um, very much is about the fact that we're in the time of our lives where we're figuring out from those people from those sources what do I align with how do I how do I see myself in the world how do I fit into the world what am I willing to ideologically accept and reject and that's just a part of kind of moving through that and so we by no means in terms of the three of us know or express or represent all of the ways that you can embody mm-hmm. feminism um and if anything yeah. it's just kind of the the starting block and and a picture of what it could and like how it does in our lives but that that may not and we also don't have a male feminist on this on this mm-hmm. episode yeah, so we you know exactly yeah. right so we're, we're limited um and in every episode we've done we're always limited um but still think it's very worth sharing sharing the experiences and hoping that that prompts people to further and research or investigate what that means for them um and maybe it validates people too well you know we don't actually know but yeah that's definitely the the motivation so okay Olivia how would you 
how would you define feminism? Like, let's have a working definition mm-hmm. for this episode. Yeah, so I think the way that I define feminism is pretty much exactly how Bell Hooks defines feminism, which is a movement to end sexism, sexist oppression, and sexist exploitation. So pretty much one of the things that Bell Hooks says is that it's potentially more helpful to say I advocate feminism rather than like I am a feminist. And I think that part of her positioning there is that it's not like an identity label, but rather like a practice or a sort of mode of being or a movement or organizational kind of energy. And so I think that I would like basically say feminism is the movement and sexist oppression. Love it. Uh, Emily, is there anything you'd add to that? No, I really like that too, because I've never heard the difference between like being a feminism, but then advocating for it. Um, And so I really like that. And I've always thought of um, feminism as really just like equality for all and like really advocating for that. And so in all ways of like women of all color and transgender women and all pretty much the whole spectrum, you know? And so I think that advocating for those rights and those human rights for every person yeah yeah that's great um Bri, what no, do you what think you? No. Oh, I, <laughs> you don't I have to move on I don't need to say anything <laughs> no no never <laughs> just collecting my thought I would say obviously I agree with everything that's been said and I think I think for me this the the word or like the phrase that kind of jumps out to me when I think about feminism is equal access and the op- like mm-hmm. opportunity. So whether you're a man, woman, non-binary, regardless of your social standing, you have access to the exact same things as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And from there, you can choose whatever kind of life or opportunities you want to take. Um, the problem with my definition is it doesn't like focus on the fact that there's oppression as the, as the cause of it. Um, so I need to work that into it. But that's, that's very much like how in the in very simple terms. The idea mm-hmm. is we all should have access, but women um, well, and just non-male individuals have had far more um, roadblocks and um, hindrances to those opportunities and to that access. Yeah. Can we, because I know that also too, when defining fem- feminism, a lot of people talk about what it means to embody it. Can we kind of touch a little bit about what each of us kind of think of what it means to embody feminism and just like in our daily lives put that into practice yeah the thing that really comes to mind and like a book that I would really really recommend to like literally everyone is the book that is aptly titled living a feminist life by Sarah Ahmed um and I don't know if either of y'all have read it but like she Mm -hmm. has she sort of talks throughout the book about what it means to live a feminist life which I think is close to what you're meaning right by embodying feminism Mm -hmm. right what would it live a life that is like premised on feminism um and I think that there's a she has this whole she has this whole idea of being a feminist killjoy which is a person who is willing to quote unquote kill joy in order to further equality and justice so to disrupt happiness when happiness is dependent on oppression right or to kill joy when that joy is dependent on inequality um but she has this thing at the end of the book that's called the killjoy manifesto and she has all these principles that are to do with living a feminist killjoy life and what it means to embody a feminist life and like some of them are really like easy for me and others are really challenging for me but i think that when it comes to embody a feminist life there's a couple that 
I really think of. And one of them, she says, I think I have this somewhere. Let me find the exact quote so that I don't butcher it. Um, she says, I'm willing to live a life that is deemed by others as unhappy, and I'm willing to reject or widen the scripts available for what counts as the good life. And I think to me, that is a huge part of what embodying the feminist life is, because it's sort of, to me, it's about disrupting systems of inequality, disrupting systems of exclusion. Um, another thing that she talks about is refusing to be included if your inclusion means the exclusion of others. Um, mm. And so I think that those are kind of some of the things that I think of as like the core of the feminist life is rejecting the idea of the good life if the good life is predicated on oppression, right? Yeah. Abandoning or widening or complicating the idea of what it might mean to be happy or to be successful if what being happy or successful is premised on the dehumanization and death of others, right? And so I think that like those things don't necessarily sound specific to feminism as opposed to any other, you know, justice ideology. Yeah. But I think for me, in terms of embodying feminism or living a feminist life, I really think that it's about being willing to have kind of an expansive and wide view of what's possible for all people um, within and beyond gender. I also think it's about, you know, being totally willing to have a much more expanded imagination of what counts as a life that's good or a life that's worth living. And I think that from there, we could like go into so many things, right? Like we can talk about like, women being pressured to be mothers. We could talk about people being pressured to be in couples as opposed to mm -hmm. being single. We can talk about heteronormativity. We can talk about cis normativity. We can talk about what counts as good work and we can count as like talk about labor, right? So I think that that's why I love that definition so much is because it opens up so many things. Like as soon as you say like, I'm willing to live a life that's deemed by others as unhappy and I'm willing to reject or widen the scripts available for what counts as the good life. That to me is like opens up almost every other sort of intersectional mode that you can get into and lots of issues yeah. that are specific to people of all genders. Can we get into some of those topics that you just mentioned? Because I think I have many thoughts mm -hmm. I know Emily does too and yeah. I think that would be um, a, some great tangible ways to kind of further talk about this and explain this. So Shall we yeah. talk about motherhood? That yeah. was, was that the first one you mentioned? Yeah, that was. I think I said yeah. like motherhood, singleness, you know. Yeah, also, couple, so yeah. I actually mm -hmm. will probably maybe get into this later. I I think I told you this, Brie. I'm like, I feel like people should not call themselves single and that that is oh. not good. So we can, we'll, we'll go there later. So anyway. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, I couldn't remember I, if I told you the thing about children or the thing about not being called single or calling yourself. You told me the thing about children. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so speaking of children, motherhood, um, I don't even know where to start except for, mm. I don't actually know where to start. Olivia, do you want to start? <laughs> I feel like I've been talking a lot, but sure. No, I, this no is, we love it. Yeah, going. This is why you're here. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's so much I could say, right? But I guess one thing that a lot of my favorite feminist theorists, and I'm sorry for being so academic, but that's where no, I live. So that's yes, that's where you live. live. This is your thing. But my favorite theorists often write from their own bodies, right? Or write from their own life experiences, or at least acknowledge their own positionality, right? In their work and sort of write out of their work in a kind of auto-theoretical way. And I guess where I start is right now, although I always, always want to give future Olivia the possibility to have different ideas than present Olivia. But yeah. as of right now, I don't think I ever want to have children. 
Um, and if I do have children, I'd want to adopt and not have my own biological children. And I have a you know variety of reasons for feeling that way. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is a really tangible way that we can kind of get at a sort of obvious cultural norm around gender, which is that women will become mothers. Um, and that even more than that, that women shall want to become mothers. I think right. that that's almost even a bigger part of it than the expect. Like, I think almost it's a bigger expectation that women should want to become mothers maybe than right. that will. Right. And yeah. so I think that to me, as someone who is not interested in motherhood and like, you know, like, this is not to say that I don't like kids or anything, you know, like, right, right. and that's, just, the, that's the cultural assumption based yeah. off of that cultural norm yeah. that if you don't want children, you therefore don't like children. But mm-hmm. yeah, just not exactly. true. Yes. And I think that mm-hmm. this is to do with so many things, but I think that this is a way that we can sort of say, to put it like very plainly, like I am an extreme, I'm a person with a lot of social power. Like I am a white person. I'm a cis person. I am a woman who dates men. I am, you know, someone who is in the middle class. I'm someone with an advanced degree. I have like a lot of social power, right? Like the, in almost every way possible, I have social power. And I still experience social alienation based on this one aspect of how I choose to perform my gender. And so I think that this kind of gets at, which is not to say I'm like oppressed because I don't want to be a mother. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that there is the feelings of exclusion or discomfort that I feel when, when people respond to me, when I say that is indicative of how narrow our gender norm is for women. Right. And that, yeah. and it, it's a small piece of like a larger oppressive network. And it's not, it's not that I'm being oppressed every time someone's like, well, why don't you want kids? You know, I think right. it's just a reflection of a larger ideological matrix, if that makes sense. Right. Or even the fact that you have a, you anticipate the discomfort and you anticipate the pushback when you share that opinion versus somebody who does want children and just can say that and have no pushback have you know no Mm -hmm. one essentially question and there's no really I mean maybe if you're like 12 and you're like I want to have kids tomorrow like there's some social norms there too but like (laughs) if I tell someone tomorrow like I want to have kids one day nobody's going to be like oh what like yeah no one will think you're weird no not at all I mean if yeah (laughs) anyway yeah no I know this one person she's kind of a distant friend and she is very vocal about never wanting to have biological children but she loves all of her friends kids so well and like she's that like super great person that will take care of and just like love on those kids but like she posts all these things where like there's I think a lot more out there than we realize about just the normalcy of like women wanting to have kids and like Mm -hmm. I don't see it as much because I do want to have a family one day and like I want to be a mother but like I don't think I never realized it before seeing her talk about it so much of like oh there's so much out there about oh you don't want to have kids and like right when that sentence comes out or she posts one thing on social media it's like a huge backlash that I had no idea about before yeah, and like even and it, it's like in our language, you know, like mm-hmm. you even yes. said just now, mm-hmm. you said I want to have a family someday, yeah. which assumes first that you don't have a family now, mm-hmm. second that if you were to not have mm-hmm. kids, you would not have a family. Yeah, right. right. And so, which like that's just in our mm-hmm. language. That's not anything about you, you know. Totally. Yeah. And I think that 
to me, and this is actually, this is related to why I don't call myself single and just say I'm not dating. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think that there's so many ways in which we imagine family in like an extremely narrow way, in a way that's like very much like the nuclear biological family. And that is like not the case in many societies historically. That's a fairly recent development in the scale of the world. And I think it's, a. I mean, there's issues with pre-nuclear family structures as well, Mm -hmm. especially in like extremely patriarchal cultures. But I think that when we think of family as, you know, a couple with children, Mm -hmm. that to me is a very sort of narrow definition of what it means to have a family. And I think that even though I don't want to have children, I will always have a family, um, Mm -hmm. including my pre-existing biological family and other non-biological sort of relationships that I have in my life. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that you brought that up because that's been something in my life that I've really taken into is that I have a very small biological nuclear family, like very small, not a big extend, extended family. But I've always wanted to grow my family in other ways. Like I've always considered like Brie is one of my sisters, like and she knows that, you know, and so it's yeah. like there are different ways. And there's so m- I remember my first sociology class at Westmont was social the family and like it was just so yeah. crazy because whenever you hear the word family in our society you, Olivia's right you think of that one picture and that's what's on all of our tv screens that's what all celebrities showcase as having a family but there are so many other options that are perfectly valid to every single person well and I just want to interject here um so my this is gonna be kind of roundabout my senior project though was I wanted to figure out if people were as accepting of same-sex couples and their family structures at now that same-sex marriage is legalized and one of the things that I in my results that I was not anticipating was that people didn't consider a couple straight or gay if they were just a couple married without children they didn't consider them a family it was only when children were present that they yeah. consider them family. And they yeah. would say that a single parent with children was a family more often than they would say a couple without children was a family. Mm-hmm. So our conceptions, just to add on, like our conceptions and ideas of what it means to be a family almost always include children in some way. Yeah. Um, and then to be the person, to be a woman and to be the person who is essentially like if all goes well, in charge and like responsible for the birth of those children it's all inherent it's all like deeply ingrained and I think another aspect of feminism and being an advocate of feminism um, or seeing it in action is being willing and being aware of the ways that these social constructions of family or gender are normal to you and when they're not normal to you where is that someone's lived experience so like I have I have a cousin who she's I think 14 or 15 but she has said that she doesn't want to have kids one day and I'm like oh I'm like you go girl like if you don't want to have them don't let anyone tell you otherwise because I know that she's going to run in like time and time again into people questioning her if she wants why she doesn't want to have children um encouraging her either to change her mind or be open to it or say something belittling like oh you say that now but like when you get older you'll want them um and that's just in like interpersonal interaction, she's going to see it many times in the media, in, in literature, and movie. It doesn't matter. She's going to be um, kind of bombarded by that, and that's a personal choice that I really hope she holds on to if she wants to. And if she doesn't, that's different. But because again, we can be open to um, 
whatever our future selves want, but without the expectation that like your future self will obviously change your mind. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that goes back to what I was saying earlier about like, I'm willing to live a life that's deemed by others as unhappy, you know? And I think that this is like, I think that if you see like an older couple who doesn't have children, right. The automatic assumption is that like, they couldn't have children. Right. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or that they're like frigid, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. 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 I think that that is like, I think that that's a part of my life where I'm like, you know, and like, not like that's resistance. Like that's not rebellion necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's, there's ways in which I could like make that part of my life praxis where it would be more revolutionary than it currently is. But I think that, that is a way in which I am, you know, willing to reject the idea of like, what is a woman, right? And that, or to redefine what is a woman, right? And I think that that also, like the whole question of motherhood touches so much on like, you know, how unequal our expectations for what we can be are, you know, and like, how unfairly like labor is is distributed. And like, I like yeah. to me part of the reason there's a lot of reasons why I don't want kids but part of them is that it's not compatible with everything else I want for my life you know yeah and so I'm like I would rather have x y and z than have children right whereas like and I think even that calculus kind of makes me sound like or I anticipate people listening to that and being like wow she thought about her life in such like a mathematical way <laughs> or like mm-hmm. you know she thought about her life in such a calculating way but which I guess it is because it is technically like a calculus or whatever but mm-hmm. you know well I but know. I mean what's super interesting about that is <clears throat> even as you say that you would never hear a man say that of like oh but I want to be a successful businessman but I can't have kids to do that like that's just not yeah. a thing and so yeah. it's like they would be able to say that and like no one would bat an eye but then like you saying that you're right like it's in our language every single day of oh that sounds different like yeah. why does that sound different that doesn't sound right yeah, yeah. and I always say like the one condition under which I would like maybe like to be a mother would be if I like married a man who wanted to be the full-time caregiver and we adopted so that I never had mm-hmm. to be pregnant And so I'm like, that would be, that would be fine for me. Or alternatively, like if I married someone who already had kids who were older than babies, Mm -hmm. those are like the two things I always say. I'm like, you know, if, if he can be the stay at home dad, or if I can marry someone who already has kids who are out of diapers, that's, then that I'll consider. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, and that also touches too on something that I think we, we kind of touched on this in Mark's episode. Um, with purity culture but I think women especially are fed this narrative that we can't trust ourselves and so when you have those conversations Mm. with people and you are you're honest and you know yourself you have a self-awareness you are able to say this is what I want and this is what I don't want all society has deemed that they are the person to tell you no you actually don't want that or you might change your mind later and I'm pretty confident that that's going to be the case but women and men and non-binary individuals all have the ability to choose whatever they want and to be confident in that nobody like I don't get where I'm gonna get into a soapbox here but like I don't get where everyone all of a sudden has deemed themselves the person like get off your high horse like you don't know my life you don't know the things that I want or don't want and me being a woman doesn't necessarily mean that I want the things that you think yeah yeah not eloquent but I got heated no it was it was great it was great and I think that there's when you say like, you know, like me being a woman, you know, doesn't mean that you can say what I want or don't want. Right. I think that a lot of, I'm like going to go onto a different soapbox here. So like going to set it up, going to jump on it, everybody get comfortable, you know? Um, But I think that one of the things that I've been thinking about ever since 
like we talked about talking about feminism is that it's really interesting in that I think if you were to ask like like when you think about feminism it's interesting because if you were to say oh do you think men and women are equal to most people on the streets I think that by and large the majority of people would be like yes you know for a variety of reasons like I think when you think about it that way there's probably more people who are under that metric there are more people who are feminists quote unquote than who aren't but if you think about people who are like actually willing to divest themselves from the patriarchy from the power of men when you think about people who are like actually willing to have kind of like an intersectional advocacy for all marginalized people when you think about people who are actually willing to sort of reject our idea of like what a woman is or what gender is or people who are willing to kind of trouble or unsettle those binaries and boundaries that's a much smaller group and so I think that that's something that's really like just interesting here is that it's like oh if you were to say you know, like, oh, do you think men and women are equal? Like, so many people are on board. But when you say, like, are you willing to destabilize the idea of gender or potentially leave that idea behind, all of a sudden you have, like, almost no one there with you anymore. You know, not no one. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people in, like, a traditional yeah. that. But, but I think that that's really interesting. And I think that that partly gets at the issue of, like, the idea that, to me at least, that's why my definition of feminism is not based on like a women's movement you know what I'm saying right mm-hmm. a lot of women who aren't willing to divest from the patriarchy I don't know how yeah. I got there but yeah <laughs> no, no no I I get I get you know I, I get where you came from I get I get it. um well and that makes me think too of um short story um I was at work well remotely you know and I was you know just doing kind of like a social mixer thing with some um co-workers and I offered the question of like, how did you get your name? Like, how did you, how are you named? Basically, how did your parents like decide to name you X, Y, and Z? And one of the um, gentlemen on the call had said something like, oh, like my name's like not really special, um, but before my name changed, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what, like, what does that mean? And he told like us that his now married last name is actually his wife's last name because she felt really strongly about their kids having her name. And he thought, yeah, like feminism and action, let's do it. Like, I don't know why I have to keep my name or for you to change your name. Like mm-hmm. that's just the patriarchy. And he has taken on his wife's last name, no hyphenating, nothing, just took her last name. And I, he's the only person I've ever, ever, only man that I've ever heard of actually doing that and not hypothetically offering that he might do that one day. Like only person <laughs> I know to have actually yeah. done that. How many men have you like guys met or dated who were like, oh yeah, I would consider taking my wife's last name. Like, no. <laughs> Big fat zero. But yeah, like I feel like even then, like the amount of people it makes them really think, uncomfortable. It, yeah, like even it shocks most, like, them. It mm-hmm. shocks them. Um, I have experienced guys more willing to let me just keep my let me. Yeah. God, I hate it that I just said that. Um, <laughs> who were like more, I don't know, comfortable with the idea of me keeping my last name and them keeping theirs than like them taking mine. Which at this point, I'm just I've already decided I'm not changing my last name. Um. But it like, and when I ask like, oh, well, why wouldn't you change your name to mine? The spo- response is typically like, well, it's, but it's my name. I'm like, so is mine. Yeah. Like th- that's really not a good reason. And just because the tradition exists, the tradition is rooted in the patriarchy and like women being transferred from their father's property to their husband's property. Yeah. So like, you're not giving me a very convincing case as to why I should be changing my name. Yeah. And that's like such like, I mean, like on the scale of things, like again, compared to like, you know, 
uh, like, I, I feel like I keep disclaimering, but it's just because I don't want to sound like I'm like, you know, taking all these small things and being like, we're oppressed, you know, but I think, I mean, like, if you think about even like, I'm sure all three of us as like women who have dated men, we could just share like endless stories like that, that would probably feature a lot of men who call themselves feminists, you yeah. know, who would mm -hmm. be like, who are like, oh, but it's my name, you know, or like do any other right. kind of like essentially there's kind of like this way in which I think a lot of people live a, like a very unexamined life or that they have like a consciousness that this is another Sarah Ahmed thing she talks about like feminist consciousness is like a switch that is in like the off state state until it's in the on state and there's usually mm -hmm. for people like you're either on all the time and forcing yourself to be off sometimes or off all the time and mm -hmm. occasionally turning it on you know and I think that when I think for a lot of people I know it's much more of like an off consciousness that will occasionally get blipped and, or like, you know, like people who will adopt like some kind of like symbols of feminism, like, you know, like, yes, she can, or the future is female or whatever, without like actually bringing any critical analysis of patriarchy to their lives, which like, right. I feel like makes me sound really elitist and that's not how I mean this. So I don't know. No, I was going to, I was going to say like, I don't, fault any of the guys that I've dated for being uncomfortable with that like the, like society has nurtured that idea for many of us and I would also say that like up until like maybe six months ago I always thought I would change my name mm -hmm. and like had no problem with that and then recently decided no I don't want to change my name so I don't I, I'm not trying to like fault them because as you were saying earlier the actual act of being um against structures and trying to like dismember them or dis dismember that's a little much yeah, dismantling no. them um mm -hmm. it's a lot harder um in action than you know shooting the shit and just like kind of talking to people over coffee about it you know like yeah. it it and it, even for someone like me like I am a person of color but white passing had a middle class upbringing cisgender like all I still have um other identify like parts of my identity that do give me privilege that I don't always think about this stuff if I'm being honest and so when you're saying like the on and off like there are definitely times where I have to like switch it on and I think being honest about that like for a lot of people is probably harder like yeah. to just be honest with the fact that yeah. not everything affects us the same way and we some of us really do have the luxury of not having to think about it yeah totally exactly no I think it's funny because I mean, so I'm engaged, so I've literally had to think about this for the last <laughs> set. I don't know how long I've been engaged now. Six months? Brie? I don't, I don't know. But um, I'm like, Brie, how long has it been? <laughs> yeah, Brie knows. Yeah. <laughs> I do know but, these things. Yeah, it's been like six months. It's funny because, <laughs> thank you. I knew the day before you knew, okay? It's, That's true. It's in there. Um, no, it's funny because, I mean, I do plan to take his last name, but it's because, like, I feel honored to like be part of his family and like I want that for us but it's funny because my ex we would have conversations and like we were very immature when we dated and I remember him telling me and he was like oh no when we have kids you're gonna be a stay-at-home mom and like you're like that's oh, yeah no, no. <laughs> no. yeah I'm afraid and so it's like I feel like for me because my fiance right now like has never had that mindset or like we've ever had those type of conversations like I'm honored to take his last name and like right. I know that he respects me and he's even like I'll be a stay-at-home and dad like you go make money like <laughs> you totally I'll do would. that yeah yeah no so 
I think it's funny and like I don't know I just I've been thinking about this so much and like what I'm gonna do with my last name because like I obviously like love my family and like my family name and like honor them and so I don't know, it's just interesting because like this has been my thought process and will be for the next nine months before I get married so yeah, yeah. no and that's real and like I yeah. think that even beyond like the idea of like the patriarchy or you know like the gender dynamics and like the power differential within a relationship like for me in my field right my field depends in part on having publications and I already have some publications under the name I currently have you know and so and like someday hopefully fingers crossed I will have my doctorate and I will probably be getting that doctorate under the same name that I have right now and so I'm like yeah you know, like not, I feel like I sound really girl bossy when I say this, but when I'm like, listen, like, did, did you get the PhD? No, yeah, no, totally. like, absolutely. And like, I, totally. I am like, I'm not into like, you know, girl boss feminism or anything like that is not how I experience living in feminist life. But I do kind of feel that way when I say things like that. But like, <laughs> it's, but honestly, like for pragmatic reasons, and this is true of a lot of like female academics, like a lot of them mm-hmm. either keep their names or they continue to publish under their like, Totally. birth family name I don't even know what you would yeah. call it mm-hmm. even if yeah, they're given name legally mm-hmm. yeah yeah I also and this is like just my personal feeling about it like if I get married I and someone call, I'm like gonna keep my name if somebody were to refer to me in conversation or like somehow said Mrs. or addressed me as Mrs. insert the last name I don't feel the need to like correct them and say no no, no I kept mm-hmm. my last name like that's not my, like functionally it's it's I don't have a problem with that because like Emily, I would think that I would feel, I would hope at that point, like I would feel honored to like be associated with that name and that family. Mm-hmm. So it's not about like me sticking it to that family or the name or the pager. It's just like, I legally would like to keep my name. I, I like it. I don't logistically want to go through all the paperwork. It's a lot less paperwork it. and money. It's a lot yeah. less paperwork and money <laughs> and time. Um, I did say though, one time, and may, this may or not happen because of how men feel about their names. I, the only reason why I would change my name is if my husband and I both hyphenated our names. And like, mm-hmm. because I also want my kids to have my name as well. So like, if we yeah. just made it like all of us have hyphenated last names, totally fine. We can make a date day out of it and go to all of the offices and fill <laughs> all of the paperwork. But I'm not doing that otherwise. Like, I'm, yeah. you know what I mean? And I yeah, think, totally. and I think that it's okay to, because I don't think that the, the spirit really anymore is like oh you're now someone's property like I think we've moved far past that um Mm -hmm. but I think it's okay to like examine those traditions and push back and say okay how much do Mm -hmm. I want to align with this or not or like maybe halfway kind of and like keep my name but functionally it's fine if you call me that you know like I think everyone just needs to decide that for themselves um man or woman like I what if a guy really doesn't like his last name he should feel fine to change it to his wife's name I don't know his partner's name like we're overlooking like the crucial question is like whose last name is cooler you know like sounds better like also like if I married a guy whose last name was Oliver I'd be like sorry no I just feel Oliver yeah 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 I know that's also okay in the spirit of like names motherhood all that stuff I did want to like circle back to something we were saying about um or Olivia what you were saying about singleness and like being referred to as single and I just wanted to touch on the gendered notion of that just because like and the expectation that women get married because if you are a guy and you don't get married you're a bachelor that's more commonly used right Mm -hmm. and while bachelorette does exist more 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 often women are referred to as spinsters 
Yeah. <laughs> what the actual fuck? Like, it's mm-hmm. not sexy. No one's excited about it. That's how it's been, like, um, yeah. curated, right, and used. So, like, when men don't get married, oh, whatever. He can, and then, like, if a woman doesn't, that's mm-hmm. so horrible. It's so against nature. Like, it's just all these things. And I'm like, where did, like, how did we get here? Where did this, how did this happen? Yeah. Why? Well, and you think about it, too. And so even, gosh, I would say, like, starting in late high school, maybe, maybe even earlier, probably even earlier, girls are always asked by friends, extended family, family, like, oh, who are you seeing? Are there any guys you like? Like, what's going on? But then a guy, if he's even asked that, and he's like, oh, no. And they're like, okay, whatever. Like, you're fine. Or even, I'm going to take this another, in mm-hmm. another direction too, um, in my like uh, long-term relationship, I was the only one between the two of us who was being asked by yeah. like friends or people, oh, when are you guys going to get married? Are you guys going to get married? Are you talking about that? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, it, and it really was so frustrating because like, first of all, if we were, and he like, he would be the one to know the answer to that more than I would, yeah. because he's the one who's going <laughs> to propose. So like, why are you asking me? But it was also just like frustrating because there's a gendered element to that where like, for some reason, I'm supposed to be the one to field those questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure like people who are closer to him maybe asked him, but like random ass people would ask me. And I'm like, well, I don't even know you that well. Why are you asking <laughs> me? Yeah. 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 And I think that kind of like building off that, like even going off of kind of like, the bachelor spencer thing and i think i alluded to this but maybe i didn't in i I think i was talking about this when we were talking about motherhood but i was thinking about this recently and i was talking about this with some of my friends and like i have decided although again i one of my like constant refrains is like i leave space for my future self to change her mind but i have decided that i'm going to see what it feels like to no longer describe myself as anyone or anyone else as single um and like the reason why I've been thinking about that is because I just think that like there's this idea that if you're not partnered you are inherently lonely right or there's something Mm -hmm. inherently missing or there's something that's Mm -hmm. unfulfilling about your life or you must have needs that aren't being met you know I'm like certainly that is the case for some people who aren't dating or in relationships but I think that a lot of times that like feeling or association of loneliness comes in part from like the language we use to talk about people who don't have partners and to me that's part of what I'm like I am not literally physically or metaphorically like single or individual right Right. like I have my biological family I have my networks of friends I have my mentors I have the people I meant I'm mentoring I have like people I've never met who are a significant part of my ideological formation, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have my own, you know, like my own family that I've never met, right. Who are instrumental to my existence on the planet. And they're also Mm -hmm. like thinkers and activists and Mm -hmm. writers who I will never meet because either they live in other parts of the world or they've passed away who I consider to be part of like my network of existence in the world because of how much they've influenced. Right. And so I think that like, to me, there's no sense in which I am like singular or single, you know, and I don't want to imagine myself that way, because I think speaking of myself that way, lends me to imagine myself that way. And it's imagining myself in a more lonely reality than I actually am in, you know, as a person who currently doesn't have a partner. Um, And I think that to me, it's just, 
It also, the other main issue I have with it is that it positions like your dating life as like an identity rather than as like a behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, that's not an identity for me. That's just like a choice I'm making in the moment. And like in the pandemic, it's not even a choice I'm making. Like I'm just not <laughs> dating them in a pandemic. Like that's not even yeah. a choice. That's no choice, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah. I think that I just don't claim that either. I don't claim it in the sense that I am alone. And I also don't claim it in the sense that that's any kind of identity marker for me. Like that's, it's a behavior that I'm engaging or not engaging in. And regardless of whether I'm engaging in the behavior of like, dating or being partnered I am collective inherently right and so I feel like I Mm -hmm. and I think that this is part of in general like heteronormativity that pushes everyone towards being in a heterosexual partnership that is then also going to be reproductive (laughs) you know it's just go back Mm -hmm. to the other conversation Mm -hmm. and I think that I just I object (laughs) yeah and I think that makes sense to like to also connect back to what you were saying about like pushing pushing back against um systems and like that's you know feminism in action because I think for women especially I mean I don't really know what it's like for for men but I think it's more commonly accepted and expected that women um find so much of their identity in their partnership in being married Mm -hmm. in being a mother and in their relation to other people because unfortunately it seems like we only provide value when we have relationship to another person so Mm -hmm. like like for example when everything with the me too movement started there were a lot of there was a lot of rhetoric around like you know we need to listen to survivors because she's someone's daughter she's someone's mother she's someone's Mm -hmm. girlfriend she's someone's you know um future like whatever right and it's always in relation to other people particularly men instead of we should listen to survivors because inherently they have value because they're human and also survivors aren't just women like that's we're also narrowing down Mm -hmm. the experience to just women um and all of that to say I appreciate you pushing back um because I I think that is pushing back against a really well ingrained script that Mm -hmm. all of those and like and that's not to say that like being in a relationship with people is bad or like identifying yourself as someone's daughter or girlfriend or wife or friend or whatever is bad but it's just not all of who you are yeah totally exactly and I think like bouncing off what you were saying about like I feel like I just keep like throwing other things in like I'm just making like a little feminist (laughs) like it's like yes it's like my favorite part in Ratatouille when he's making the good soup (laughs) you know what I'm talking about yes I feel like that's us right now um sorry I just (laughs) I love Ratatouille. Oh, me too. <laughs> it's so unrelated to anything. Ratatouille's not even a very feminist movie. Or maybe it is. Well, I don't think it is. <laughs> We're going to have another episode about yeah. yeah. Is Ratatouille yeah. feminist? The sequel starring me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, what I was going to say is that um, based off of what you said about the Me Too movement, this is another sort of thing that Sarah Ahmed gestures at. I just keep saying her name, so everyone should read the book. But she talks about how being part of being a woman or part of becoming a woman or realizing that you're a woman is experiencing that the world is not safe for you and mm-hmm. that your body is, like, to some degree under threat. And obviously that's very amplified mm-hmm. for women of color or queer women of all kinds um, and I, or of all identities, I guess I should say. Um, 
And I think that I've been thinking about this, like when you said the Me Too movement, this made me sort of think about it, right? Like obviously not all survivors are women, right? Like there are people of all genders who have experienced, you know, sexual violence, sexual assault, Mm -hmm. sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. But I do think there is sort of this disproportionate power dynamic within society where men behave as though they have access to women's bodies or the idea of women's bodies. And I've been thinking about this today because I was like, you know, well, we're going to like record this podcast today, you know, I, and so I've just been thinking about feminism all day. And this morning, if I can like share a creepy story that happened to me today, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this morning, uh, there was like a knocking at my door of my house. Right. And so I go downstairs because I was like, maybe it's our landscaper. Like maybe it's, you know, uh, like delivery of some kind, I'm going to go, you know, see what's going on. And I opened the door and it was like a pretty tall guy, probably in like his forties ish, not wearing a mask. And he was like, did you call an Uber? And I was like, no, I didn't. Sorry. And he was like, Oh, okay. My bad. No worries. And like turned to walk down my porch. And then he was like, Oh, there's some packages out here. And then just passed me like my mail, which made me feel like really weird. And as I was like grabbing the mail from him, he was like, Oh my God, you're so beautiful. Are you single? And I was like, uh, and he was like, you're just so beautiful. And I was like, no, thank you. And like grabbed my like packages and tried to kind of close the door. And I was like, no, thank you. And he was like, okay, have a good one. And then kind of turned and left. And I was like, felt so uncomfortable. And obviously it could have been so much worse, but it was like a very uncomfortable and unsettling situation. And then later on, I found out from my roommate, he wasn't even an Uber driver. She saw him just like walk down the street, just into our neighborhood. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. So, and now like literally all day, I've been sitting here thinking that guy knows where I live. And Uh-oh. like I and I ordered delivery for dinner tonight and when the delivery guy came and knocked on the door, I was like, I literally got like a knife from my kitchen. Yeah. And like Yeah, oh my <laughs> gosh. Like, reaction, but like yeah. it's no, no but it's, it's... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. More than that. I don't yeah, think it's it a reaction. No. Yeah. And it's like related, right? To like the feeling that like, even if like the best possible imagination of that scenario is that this was some older guy who like, because I was not wearing a mask, didn't register me as being very young and was literally like, Oh, I'm going to shoot my shot right now with this person. Right. That's the best possible scenario. And even in that scenario, like, the power differential is so skewed, and, like, Mm -hmm. my safety is automatically in question, and, like, even though I'm the one in my own home, you know, and, like, that Mm -hmm. is just so, like, I've been thinking about that all day, and I was, like, wow, like, this is a part of being a woman in the world, or, like, becoming a woman in the world, and realizing that your body is not safe in the world. Yes. And I think, (laughs) well, no, I'm glad that you brought it up because that's actually something that I've been thinking about a lot today too, like in, you know, in preparation and thinking about us recording. Um, Because I think the thing about being a woman and and knowing that you're not physically and in other ways, which we can talk about too, not protected in this world. um, It's, it's unfortunately so second nature, like I remember pre-pandemic obviously I remember we you know my friends from work and I would like sometimes go to get a drink and we'd meet after dinner or something and um I remember like you know my girlfriend and I would like told my friend I was like hey like do you want me to um 
like come pick you up, like just second nature kind of stuff. And so we were like a little late, which like, I guess we could have planned better. And I remember one of our buddies, he, he said something to me, like, oh, we've been waiting for you for like for you for so long, like glad you finally arrived. And I know he didn't like mean this, but my like internally, I like, you know, externally, I made a joke about it. Internally, I kept thinking, okay, it's nighttime. We carpool out of safety so we can walk from the car to the bar. I don't even have to say that to her. Like, I'm just like, hey, you want to carpool? She's like, yeah. And it was the other way around too, a different yeah. time. Because I know, especially now with daylight savings past 5 p.m., I'm not going anywhere by myself because this mm-hmm. world has not made it safe for me to do so. And men just don't have any experience or like reason to think otherwise. Like they don't get nervous in parking lots. They don't get nervous when it's dark out. Like I make sure I park under a street lamp if I'm at like, and I will circle blocks to make sure I park under a street lamp. Like all of those little things, unfortunately are really second nature to us. Um, Mm -hmm. But then the other thing that I was thinking about today was like women not being protective. And I have been thinking a lot over these past few months, especially with the pandemic with a lot of people losing their jobs. Um, I think so much about how women are not financially protected a lot of the time. Women make Mm -hmm. less than men. Oftentimes women um, will decide to be a stay-at-home mom and let their husband be the breadwinner. And I just can't help but, and especially just from my lived experience and people in my life, I've seen that not go well and women be divorced and have nothing because they didn't, they weren't financially protected. Or, you know, we always hear the like crazy, but not so crazy stories of men moving money so that their wives don't have access to Mm -hmm. it and then leaving them. And there's just, there's the lack of protection for women physically, financially, probably other ways that I'm not able to recall at this moment um, is staggering, I think. And um, so when I maybe, and I don't want to like say that being a stay-at-home mom is bad, but sometimes when I hear women say that that's what they aspire to, I just keep thinking, how are you going to protect yourself though? Or like, what if, like, Mm -hmm. God forbid, like, what if your spouse dies? Like, you just don't know. Humans are complicated and they surprise us all the time. And so to fully depend on another human when you don't necessarily need to, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know where I'm going with this now, but like, those are thoughts. Help me, tell me what you think. Yeah, no, Brie, I'm glad you brought that up just because, I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about that of just, I know, hearing about it a lot lately of the question of how women protect themselves um financially and just like even still with the inequality and pay that women face and then adding that on top of it and so it's like I think too it's interesting because yes people maybe realize it but I think a lot of people would rather say oh but I mean women had so much worse back in the day when they couldn't work and they like had to get married and like they literally like needed a husband to eat and like have shelter and all of that but it's like okay no like this is still a huge issue because I remember talking to my mom one day I can't remember when this was but she was super honest with me and was like okay you know like gratefully like my parents like are very happy and like married and like great people but she's like you know anything could have happened and you know your dad like like Bree just said like could have died in a tragic tragic accident and like something could have happened where they would have had to split up and my mom 
always made sure that like she was safe and like protected and that she would be able to care for my sister and I if worse came to worse. And it's like before that conversation, I had never thought about that because it's just like not something people like to talk about. Obviously, it's not fun, but it's such a necessity and that girls need to think about, but men don't because there's always going to be another option, you know, for them. Yeah. And I think in general, sort of this whole conversation about finances, like not to bring in like other aspects of my like political views, but I think that this speaks to how, to me at least, a part of living a feminist life is investment in dismantling like all oppressive systems because inherently all workers are exploited. Anyone who is in the working class is exploited by definition and women are you know, in a more precarious position because they have both, they are both exploited workers and they are also facing sexist depression, right? And like, again, and like, not that any of these things is necessarily like, you can't really weigh whether these things are worse than each other, quote unquote, um, or whether, you know, like who is more oppressed, I think is not a helpful kind of conversation to have. But I do think that the things you guys are saying is illuminating of the fact that like under a capitalist system, like almost all people are more precarious than they realize and almost every person is closer to becoming or experiencing like houselessness than they are to becoming wealthy and that is the fact of life for like more people than who realize that and more people who want than who want to admit that and I think that to me the the economic precarity of women is bound up with the exploitation inherent to the capitalist system in general, which is, and like all the obviously goes hand in hand with patriarchy and racism and ableism and all these other things. They're like, you can't even separate them. They're so Mm -hmm. intermingled because they are all reifying each other going all the way up. And it's not even that you could say like, oh, if we eliminated the patriarchy, then women wouldn't be exploited anymore because we would be as workers, right? Mm-hmm. And in same way, if we eliminated cap- capitalism, but not the patriarchy, which again, you can't even have these conversations because that's impossible. And like, but again, like there's sort of the entangling of, I guess, like multiple forms of domination leads me to, as a feminist, feel like it's very important to be invested in dismantling like all systems of exploitation and oppression for my personal sort of understanding of politics not to just be like, you know, sprinkle some anti-capitalism on the soup. <laughs> hey, you're the guest. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I also think that, there, we, like you were saying, like if they're entangled, I don't really know that we could have this conversation without talking about it and like talking about all the many layers to it. Um, and the fact that intersectionality is super important. We like haven't even been able to really touch on that. Um, so save that for another episode. Um, I'm like looking at our notes. I'm like, I don't even know where we are anymore. <laughs> Which is great. This is what, you know, like. What yeah. I feel like, I feel like we're like that one. Um, have you guys seen that meme of Paul Rudd where he's like, who would have thought we'd end up here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's us, right? I kind of think yeah. we'd end up here, but. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Well, and I, I'm trying to think too, like, where else we want to, I just feel like we could talk about this forever. Well, I think it might be helpful to, talk a little bit about aspects of the patriarchy that we feel are dying or have for the most part died. Cause I think, I don't know. I think sometimes people can feel kind of overwhelmed by all of the things that still exist, but I think seeing the progress is definitely helpful to use that momentum to keep going. For example, 
my first thought. Most women don't live with their parents before, like up till getting married. Mm-hmm. Right? And part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that like women aren't their father's property anymore, being, you know, transferred over to their husband's property. They're, while not abundant, there is some acceptance of women not being married or being married later in life. So that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to live with your parents. Well, and just going off that, I mean, I think even the idea that a man has to ask permission to marry his daughter from the father. Oh, and big one. Yes. And <laughs> I remember... That, which I'm like... Yeah. I'm sorry, you need permission to marry a grown-ass woman? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I even remember when I got engaged, there is um, a family friend and she was kind of asking me the story and everything. And she's like, oh, did he ask your father's permission? And I was like, oh, I know he like talked to them and like obviously filled them in on what was going on. <laughs> but she's like, no, did he ask? And I was like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> like I trust him. I trust my parents. Like it is, I am not like my parents, like possession to just like hand off and like that's not how I'm looking into marriage as like oh well here she goes like (laughs) there we go yeah and so it's like but it was so just like often where she kept needing me to say yes he asked for my hand it was the weirdest thing and I was like that's very awkward I don't yeah I was like stop asking me like at the end I was like yes (laughs) he did (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I just need this conversation to be over yeah like ready to be done with this yeah Yeah. (laughs) but I think in terms of I don't know like I know that you just said like oh like let's give the people some hope because the despair is overwhelming (laughs) but (laughs) I don't know like I'm and I feel like this is probably like I feel like everyone who has like kind of any sort of left or left leaning political consciousness has like a sort of fraught relationship to the idea of progress or hope um because I think so often we see like the oppressions of the past recur in new forms right and so I think for me like is it really progress to have more women in government if those women are going to strip the rights of other people like to me no you know and so I think that it like and like is it really progress to have more women direct movies that are funded by the military I think no or like to have more women soldiers you know perpetuating colonialism globally like to me again like no that's not pro like the inclusion of women in spaces in spaces designed or predicated on inequality and violence is not progress to me and so but like on the other hand like yes there are like there have been like material gains for women over, you know, sort of recent history, there have been political gains for women. And so it's about like holding those things in tension for me. And I think Mm -hmm. for me, when it comes to like hope, the idea of hope is much, and like, again, like this is one of those moments where I'm like, I don't want to be prescriptive, right? I want to be descriptive Mm -hmm. of what's true for me. And for me, what's much more generative in terms of hope or belief or energy or sort of momentum towards the future is not gains made in the present but the imagining of a different society in the future right Mm -hmm. and then asking like how can I drag the future toward the present rather than seeing how far is the present from the past if that makes sense um and I think like there's I'm gonna butcher exactly how she says it but Sarah Ahmed my favorite (laughs) lady um but she says something like we have to enact the world that we're hoping for nothing else will do and I think that that to me is where my sort of like hope comes from is the idea of 
enacting the world that I'm imagining, right? And enacting and doing everything I can in my day-to-day life and in all kinds of choices that I make to participate in the kind of world I would rather live in, you know? And I think that that to me is very generative of hope, more so than the idea of progress, if that makes sense. Um, But I, and again, like that's what works for me and what works for me might not be what works for you, you know? And I, but I think that, I think for me, a big part of it is finding ways to, you know, pull that future closer and also to to expand your idea of what that future means and putting yourself in proximity to people who are always pushing you to have a more capacious understanding of what that future is, to have like a more broad and expansive and, you know, unruly and unpredictable idea of what that future is. And I think that the more people I have like that in my life, the more excited I am. Like, I feel like there's this generative energy when you have these close relationships with people who are, who believe in the idea of a better world. Right. And that to me is just so energizing and hope giving, despite I think the tangible danger, violence, fear that women feel every day that they are alive. Yeah, that was really well put. I think we, I think we move on to our closing yeah. questions. That, <laughs> that, that's a great, great close. Yeah, it's just really, um, this is my first time doing this. So it just really knocked me back in my seat. That was, yeah, really well said. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. You're one of those people for me. What? You're one of those people for me. It's going to have a little love fest here. Um, okay. <laughs> so we have some just fun questions to kind of like, help the listeners get to know you um and I let's we're gonna do some of our older questions because we haven't asked these in a while um if you what is something that you do for yourself currently that um if you could pay someone to do it you would and it can be as like mundane or extravagant as Mm -hmm. as you can think of I have like so many answers I would Um, give them all (laughs) So I guess one thing I would say, like, I'll give you like a couple different categories because I can't think of just one. I hate doing the dishes. If I could never do the dishes again, I have dirty dishes in the sink, like right now that I'm going to do as soon as we're done. And I wish that weren't the case. So I would love for someone else to do my dishes. Um, I just hate it so much. Um, But I would also, and this is like stretching the question, but I would love to have someone else get me any book I needed whenever I needed it (laughs) so like if some I don't know if that's like an actual thing but it's like if I could pay someone else to do something for me just like I could be like hey imaginary other person I really need this book bring it to me I mean that's just like a personal librarian or personal shopper it could yeah but books are so expensive that's the main issue every book is like 20 bucks Oh, you mean you want it for free too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. you want them to pay for it and find it? Yeah, because I'm paying for someone to give me a service. <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got it. The got full it. service, not just one I part. Would, I would gladly have one of those as well. I know, right? Mm-hmm. I just really want someone to buy every book I need for me. Yeah, I like that. And like getting my oil changed and stuff, anything to do with my car. Hate that. <laughs> like then take the car to the mechanic or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you could produce or run a reality TV show, what would you have it be about? Oh my gosh. Well, this would be a reality TV show that would appeal to no one but me. But I really think there needs to be a reality TV show about grad school. Because 
literally yeah people come and like also I don't understand why so many tv shows in general are just about high school and not about college because college is so much spicier yeah Um, yeah. but I feel like yeah exactly exactly you you guys get it um but I think that like if you were literally to do like something like keeping up with the Kardashians but following like a particular department at a big school the potential for drama is endless real world issues involved departmental politics like sometimes Mm -hmm. faculty don't like each other sometimes cohort mates don't like each other sometimes cohort people date each other sometimes people like do weird power plays with each other in class not really at Villanova that much um but you know I've heard stories um you know like there's whole things where like people will steal each other's research like literally like what happened yeah this I saw this thread on Twitter once where someone was like oh yeah, no one in my seminars ever says anything because when we say things, there's people who will take our comments and put them in their papers and like steal our work. And I was like, um, that but is what my grad school experience has been like at all. Mine would definitely be a lot more like, it would be the energy of my grad school experience would be much more like sitcom-y because it's been really mm. cute and fun. But I feel like there's just, there's just great potential there. And you could also turn it into a competition where there was like scholarships for people who published the most papers or something that would create so much drama. Um, but I don't think it needs to be a competition show. I just love competition shows. But yeah. 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 But a grad school reality show I would watch instantly. That is I, I think the most original answer. Yeah. I heard that question. We haven't <laughs> asked it a ton, but but that wins. But but yeah, that wins. I don't think I ever heard that one. No, I, I think it was like really early on. That we yeah, we did that for our episodes and then maybe like one other. Yeah, and yeah. then we started doing the Do You Know, know Me game. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, last question. What is, and you can name as many as you want, what are like personal and maybe like odd pet peeves of yours? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I have to think about it. What are my pet peeves? Brie, you lives with me. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm, um, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. I was going to say how, like, like I, have. I was able to cook. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if that was a pet peeve, but it definitely was comical. Oh, my parents still reference you. They'll be like, oh, yeah, the roommate who just put pasta on lettuce and called it pasta salad. Oh, <laughs> I'm no. I'm going to go die in a hole now. <laughs> okay, but you're a good cook now. I am now. Yeah, I just wasn't when I was 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Who is? Other than me and Brenna. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I definitely was odd one out in that apartment. I didn't know how to make shit. You know, <laughs> my parents actually asked me about that. They were like, does she know how to cook now? And I was like, how do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, no, I know how to cook now. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, you made a salmon. You do all sorts of good stuff. Yeah, I made this like... Uh, what was it it was like it's not like a stew but it was like a multi-part pasta um like a chili kind of but like it didn't have to like cook as long but like I had the pasta and then I had the I did that thing where you like make a a sauce out of a soup oh yeah you know when you get like cream of chicken or cream Mm -hmm. of mushroom anyways and now it's my go-to recipe because I just have to like do a recipe a few times so I don't have to think about it and then I'll make it so yeah well I'm the same whenever I do Mm -hmm. I'm very stressed but I guess I would say I feel like in terms of my pet peeves because that's what we're talking about because that's not a pet peeve I support (laughs) it when you're 
your pasta salad. I supported you the whole oh time. Oh my god. <laughs> 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 um, I don't think I. I think in general, I will say when I don't, this is a pet peeve of mine, when people are upset and they won't admit that they're upset, that is a massive pet mm. peeve for me. Like when people are like, no, it's fine. That, and you're like, I can tell it's not fine. Yeah. yeah well, and be really anxious. So, And I think there's a difference mm. between like people who will admit it, but just be like, I'm upset, but we don't have to talk about it right now. Or like, let's table it for later. Or like, yeah. not right. This isn't the space. But when people just are in like flat out denial, yeah, I, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's and really hard for me. Although I will say, like, I think in general, I don't like. I feel like annoyance is not like an emotion I feel super often, unless I haven't gotten alone time in a while, and then mm. everything is annoyance. Like when I'm in the space where I haven't mm-hmm. had alone time in a couple weeks. I everything is annoying to me everything is my pet peeve yeah I feel that (laughs) that's so interesting because I feel like for me I would say the opposite like I would say more things annoy me and then very rarely do things like make me upset or like mad like it takes a lot for like Mm -hmm. but like I can be easily annoyed most of the day just because I find most people Mm -hmm. or most things like kind of annoying and irritating and it may not like change my mood necessarily but I'm like oh that was annoying or like I have that thought very frequently very rarely mm-hmm. am I like oh I'm pissed about yeah, yeah we definitely yeah. the opposite there because I'm very rarely irritated or annoyed but I'm very frequently angry or sad so mm. yeah that makes me sound mm. I don't know I feel like I'm- <laughs> <laughs> I feel no like- but I think I think that's whoa she is very intense. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, no, I, I don't think so at all because I would say, like, the downside of the fact that I get just, like, annoyed is that, like, I in some ways can be kind of agreeable. Like, in the moment, I won't mm. say anything and I'll be like, oh, that's kind of annoying. But, like, later it might fester. Whereas, like, you, because you would get, like, upset or, like, mad about something, you are, like, much quicker and, like, open to be like, that was super problematic or, like, this is wrong. And I would just probably not say something mm. in the moment. And then I, you know, I get upset with myself later. I'm like, why didn't I just say something then? But in the, like, in the moment, I'm just, like, annoyed and agreeable. Yeah. But actually, mm. this is a whole other thing that we could, you know, talk about for hours. So I'll just, like, raise it and then back away. Um, but I was, t- actually, I was talking about this with my parents over the break. I was like, can you guys repress your emotions or can you just manage them? Because I can't repress my emotions. Like if I'm having a feeling, I cannot stop feeling it. There's no way yeah. out. Mm-hmm. But I can like manage my situation and I can manage my reaction and I can like temper the way I express my emotion or whatever. But I know some people who genuinely can like say, I'm not going to feel that feeling right now. And that is something that I can't relate to. And isn't mm-hmm. it like, it's just so interesting how different people interface with reality. But yeah, and I think oh. that. And I think it's interesting that neither you or I, Brie, feel like we can repress our emotions, but we have different, like, emotional waters, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Do you mean that people say that they just, like, they see the feeling, they don't want to feel it, so they just don't? Or, like, they compartmentalize it for a later time? I've heard both. Because compartmentalizing, I, I can kind of get, I can't do mm-hmm. um, at all, but I can see how that like I, I you know what I mean like just like context spaces like you might be like I will be upset about this later but just like rejecting the feeling it doesn't sound super healthy yeah probably not I feel like it's I feel like though I, I mean I think a lot of times that can be like a trauma response and I think other times there are people who just like aren't as in tune with their 
emotions. Like my dad is is a very emotional person. He's very emotionally healthy and he's very like kind and easygoing, but he's not like, he does not experience extreme emotions very much. So it's very easy to be like, I'm sad, but instead I'm going to be excited, you know, or like, you know, which is like something I can't even imagine. (laughs) No, I can't either. Cause no, not at all. Even like, with everything that happened yesterday I was like I feel like an emotional blob because I'm upset yeah. and pissed and like like it are just like too many emotions that I couldn't just like sh- turn them off yeah no they had to like work their way through mm-hmm. and even yeah. then they're like lingering yeah literally yesterday this is such a side note yesterday morning I didn't wake up till like 11 and I was like wow Ooh. what a weird day and then at like 11 30 I was like hmm I'm going to take a CBD gummy, not a weed gummy, but a CBD gummy, you know, and not like taking weed gummies at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. (laughs) Um, um, And I was just like, and usually I only take them like when I know I'm going to have a really stressful day or when there's some kind of like external event, like I took them all election week, you know, or but like, I was just like, hmm, yeah, this feels like a day. And I just like, you know, took the gummy. And then like two hours later, it was like, fascists are storming the capital and I was like past me knew what she was about she was like preemptively self-protective she didn't know but she knew (laughs) oh my gosh I would love to have that's incredible yeah Yeah. I would really look into it actually they've been a great quality of life upgrade for me I get texted by like CBD businesses Hmm. I don't know why or how I haven't ever purchased CBD but (laughs) interesting maybe maybe that's a sign that I should (laughs) (laughs) Speaking to you. So I got my number somewhere. From dispensaries. Yeah. Yeah, dispensaries. That's what it's called. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I guess I will close here. But Olivia, thank you for coming on. I think our little, our stew of feminism was great. We (laughs) brought up so much. I find it to be delicious. Just that critic at the end who was like, life changing. That, yeah, you know, exactly. That's our, that's our ratatouille feminism. That's how we end. <laughs> no, but it's amazing. And I'm sure we'll have so many more conversations about it um, with you, maybe Olivia and other guests. Um, so this is just the beginning. But thank you, everyone, again, for listening. And don't forget to DM us or email us any questions, advice, anything you want us to talk about. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And tune in next week for another episode.